Hi, I'm Mars Monday from CarServe. Nice to meet you, Brad Taylor. Welcome to my elevator. You're listening to an elevator pitch between an entrepreneur and a Salesforce executive taking place in an actual elevator. We're following up with patients using calls, text messages, and chat. We sell the machine and compostable capsules direct to consumers online. Salesforce had the clever idea of inviting entrepreneurs to pitch their executives in the elevators as a way of showing off the fact they just built the tallest skyscraper in San Francisco. Tall buildings, long elevator rides. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Explain to people who don't know what an elevator pitch is. What is an elevator pitch? Sure. So the elevator pitch is sort of the vernacular that's, hey, if you, you don't get to meet VCs that often, you get one shot, you need to be able to explain your business in 30 seconds to a minute in order to get them interested to take a meeting if you don't have a friendly introduction. So we had a lot of fun with that. This week, Matt Garrett. He's a corporate venture capitalist for Salesforce. Our past interviews have been with traditional venture capital, Kleiner Perkins, Andreessen Horowitz, that kind of thing. I figure the best way to quickly find out what corporate venture capital is, is to put Matt in an elevator for the 40-second ride to the top of the Salesforce Tower. You have 40 seconds. Hold on. Okay. Doors are closing. And okay, Matt, what is corporate venture capital? So we are the strategic investment arm of Salesforce. So we think about the strategic angle, and that is how do we take the most innovative companies that we see in the enterprise application world, and how do we bring them into our ecosystem so that our customers can consume that through Salesforce and, and, and through our technology. So the goal is we're able to make them more successful by partnering them and working with them with our customers. Yeah, 40 seconds works because you're only at about the 40th floor at this point. Oh, I had more seconds. time. You have more time. Elevator doors are going to open well. now. 
We'll get back to corporate venture capital in a moment, but I can't skip the fact that the top of the Salesforce Tower is really impressive. Tallest building west of the Mississippi. Now, Los Angeles is going to dispute that and say the Wilshire Tower is taller, but they're counting the spire at the top. No, this is phenomenal. Let's walk over to a window because you can see the Golden Gate Bridge, which is, you know, amazing in and of itself on a day like today. Yes. And uh, so so what you get is they've done a phenomenal job. You get a, like a 180 view of the whole Bay Area. It's a, it's a nice sunny day today. Oh, yeah. This is spectacular. Alcatraz, Angel Island, Golden Gate Bridge, Golden Gate Park. That's, what's that building over there? <laughs> the little one? Yes. Transamerica building. Right, the Transamerica building. The Transamerica Pyramid, its proper name, is now San Francisco's second tallest building at just 48 stories. Now, that wouldn't even be top 10 in Chicago or top 25 in New York. San Francisco is not a tall building town. All right, back to the elevator pitches and corporate venture capital. Matt hears a lot of pitches as head of venture capital for Salesforce, though not usually in an elevator. If you did, though, find yourself on an elevator. It's really being able to communicate the value of what you do very succinctly and why you are uniquely qualified to do that. So... What do you invest in? Would you invest in anything? Because normally when I think of venture capital, if there is a big money-making yeah. opportunity, yeah. even if it's kind of outside of your investing yeah. theory, you might. Yeah. Uh, but probably not We Salesforce. don't. So the first lens that we put on is like, what's the strategic angle? Where do we have leverage with this company in terms of how can we help them? Um, and how can they be accretive to our customer base and to our product? And so we think about, you know, filling white spaces and extending our products into areas that we're not in today. That's the first lens. We certainly think about all the financial um, uh, opportunities of the business. We do the financial diligence and we think about all that as well. But so that first lens is how does it fit within the Salesforce ecosystem and how that manifests really is for every investment we, we make. We do have a sponsor who's an executive at the company, generally on the product side. So you are funding potential future customers? No. We, so what we're essentially doing, if you think about Salesforce and like the platform nature of Salesforce, so, um, you know, we have our, uh, uh, and if you think, well, maybe how we started was we initially started investing in uh, system implementation partners, consulting partners that help our customers get up and running on Salesforce. Then we started run investing on companies that were on App Exchange. That's our enterprise app store, just like the Apple um, app store, but but for enterprises. And so what we're thinking about is like, you know, where are the, where where's the puck going? What are the most innovative, most exciting technologies that we're not building a product? We don't have um, coverage there. But our customers want this innovation. They want this technology. And if we work with them and we can integrate the product better, they get this nice, seamless experience through the Salesforce platform so they don't have all these windows open. And it's really about how do we create that better experience for our customers. The entrepreneur wins. Our customers win. And, you know, we're able to uh, make some money on them. So you're investing in companies that would, in the end, make the Salesforce platform better. Yes, well, you kind of spread the, the research and the development and sort of de-risks as well, because you can invest in other companies that may or may not be successful or may or may not 
provide something that helps the Salesforce platform without doing the R&D or the programming in-house. Yeah, I mean, it helps keep us acutely aware of what's going on. And when we think about, we've launched funds around artificial intelligence. Um, you know, we're spending a lot of time on blockchain. We have efforts there as well. But it helps us um, be really informed on what's, what's coming, and it helps inform our executives as well. So certainly... As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I think it's interesting, most of my interviews up until this point have been places like Battery or whatnot sure. that are that kind of traditional venture capital. Yeah. And I haven't delved much into this corporate venture capital. I mean, you've got Google Ventures and and Intel Ventures and yourself. How are you different? How what what is the from key the institutional funds like Battery? Yes, yeah. exactly. So again, it starts we start first like what's that what's the strategic lens and how can we help this companies? And so I think what's different is we're coming in with basically a fundamentally different value proposition. And I think we're in a better position. We were pioneering cloud. Uh, we were, we you know have the largest enterprise software company. And I think from that, we're able to bring these companies in. We're able to not only like figure out how we can work with them and help them integrate their products and work with our customers, but also just from an operating perspective, we'll bring a portfolio company in. We'll just say, tell us, what, what are the areas around operating your business you have questions about? And they'll come up, these are the five areas, and we'll get the five you know best people in the company to sit down and spend a full day with them and spend an hour with them at each step saying, you know, I want to know about pricing. I want to know about, you know, go to market and how do you sell in Europe and things like that. So I think we're uniquely positioned. And if you think about the scale we're at and the number of executives here that have that expertise, like there's no other venture firm that can have, like they may have someone who one or two people understand marketing or one or two people that understand sales, but they don't understand the person, you know, who's done pricing in Europe for this sort of product. And we have that person. So I think that's the scale and the leverage that we give that no one else has. I think there are a lot of people who don't realize that uh, my company, Comcast, has a venture capital yeah. arm. Ford has a venture right. capital arm. It just makes sense for large companies. It does. It does. Yeah. Tell me what's different than you were a battery, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, what are some of the key differences between your job now and when you were at battery? So, you know, we think again, as I was saying, we start initially about how can we, you know, what's the strategic angle of this? How is this going to help Salesforce and Salesforce customers? So that's a fundamentally different lens to start with. Um, again, we think about the fundamentals of the business just like you would at a battery um, or someplace like that. Um, and so beyond that too, it's like we are an extension of Salesforce. So we do often think about, um, you know, uh, educating our customers and talking to them about here's what we're seeing in the marketplace that's, you know, around innovation. Um, and again, all the other things in terms of helping our companies more from a go-to-market, talking to other uh, 
customers, mutual customers of ours. Um, so I think it's really that all the resources and benefits that that Salesforce can you know provide and offer uh, is is the key difference. And when the return comes, I mean, yeah. are, if if Salesforce invents invests in my company, yeah. should I take that as a sign that Salesforce is likely to buy my company? So if you look at the primary goal of what we're doing, it's really this. How do we extend into new geographies? How do we extend into white spaces where we don't have products? So we think about it from that perspective. Um, you know, we've had a number of IPOs and a number of successful exits, and you know, in the minority of cases, we bought those companies. So it does help you develop a much closer, much tighter relationship, and it does help your odds of uh, you know there being an acquisition from Salesforce. But that's not the primary objective, and it happens. You know, M and A processes are they go in different directions. They're complex things, so it's not the primary primary objective um, of what we do. And when that exit money comes back to Salesforce, yes. Ventures, do you get to keep it in the uh, sense of I don't mean Matt gets to keep it, although that'd be nice. It goes to our central treasury. That's a bummer. And, you know, it's it's the thing for the, is, is for the listener, I'll, I'll the, say that he shrugged. Yes. <laughs> no, the, the leverage we get is that because of the brand and the how the how we're able to help these companies. Like we just get into a lot of interesting conversations and meet with the best companies. And, and, and because of where we sit, we're viewed as a partner with traditional institutional venture funds. And so they invite us into a lot of these deals. And so we're in a pretty privileged space in terms of, you know, the things we get to uh, see and invest in. And, and fortunately, Salesforce uh, continues to perform very well. The stock continues to perform very well. So it all accretes uh, to, to us in the end. The only danger would be, and Salesforce is performing incredibly well, if it didn't, somebody could say to you, Matt, hey, let's sell some positions here. I mean, let's get that bottom line up. Um, I, mean, I guess there's always that potential, but... Uh, you know, to the extent that that's that's not going to meaningfully change the stock price. The when you think about how the stock analysts think about it, they don't. They're not going to look at oh well, because this stuff all flows through. It's all very transparent in our financials. It doesn't make the stock price go up. Doesn't make the stock price go down necessarily. We're not optimizing for returns. I mean, we are very conscious that we're investing money on behalf of our shareholders. And so we absolutely take that into consideration. But, um, you know, we're we're not optimizing from financial returns. And so we'll and so we, we think about that sometimes in terms of check size and, and how we think about, if you know, if it's a really, really strategic company and it's super helpful to us and we want to um, consummate the relationship, we'll make an investment if it's you know, accomplishing all that and it's the best performing company, you know, we may invest more money to, you know, create, you know, more profit that we can invest in more companies. Are you dealing with a set fund the way that other VC are? We don't. We don't. Um, it's it's generally it's been really about the quality of the opportunities that we can find. We don't set aside a certain amount. We have we've kind of have a range that we think. So what about. does that look like? Do you have to go to someone and say, I need X million dollars? So at the beginning of each year, we give our finance and treasury team kind of a range of what we think we're going to invest. And then and then we we give them heads up, you know, whenever we're going to make an investment. Doesn't that, though, inform how much you then invest? I mean, in the sense that or do you already know where you're going to make? Those we know plans? how many people we have. And you're always just at a, at a venture. 
you don't hire more people than than you know capital you want to deploy. So it's the same sort of formula. We look back, we know how much we invest every year, roughly, um, and so based on that, we, we we can come up with a pretty good range. That is very different than your experience at Battery, though, where you had you know a fund. They do the opposite, though. They think about here's our fund size, and there's different things that dictate that, and then they staff it because you think about dollars per partner to a certain extent, sure. and then per partner, how many people. So we, 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 each year, we, we look at, you know, how much did we deploy last year? What were the opportunities? Did we see more or less? And so we've, we've um, historically, you know, been increasing the amount we deploy each year. And a lot of that's been driven by, you know, uh, investing more in Europe, investing more in Japan, investing more in other regions, spending more time on the East Coast. Um, so, so each year we've been increasing that just because, like I was saying, the whole, the whole market's been growing. We're in the heart of San Francisco and the tallest building in San Francisco, yes. the tallest building in west of the Mississippi. But there's a lot of money flowing out into other places. Mm -hmm. We were talking about some of the uh, other towns out there before we started recording. What are the towns out there that you think have the potential to rival, if at all, Silicon Valley? I think it's more of a rising tide lists all boats. I mean, I think Silicon Valley is still going to have, you have such a concentration of tech here. But if you look at where we've been investing uh, for the last two years in a row within the U.S., over 50% of the investments within the U.S. have been outside of Silicon Valley. Um, and then if you look globally, over 75% of our investments have been outside of um, Silicon Valley. So we're super active in, in Europe. Europe's very interested because it's, I mean, London is, is the largest place, but you're seeing a lot of stuff in Estonia. We have companies in Portugal, so it's pretty well spread out there. Um, we're seeing a lot now in Australia. We have someone who in, runs investments in Australia. We have a large investment team in Japan. Um, I think at one time we had five companies in North Carolina. So you're seeing it become pretty well spread out. I've been really impressed with what New York City is doing. I think from an enterprise that's that area has really come on strong. We're spending a lot more time there. It started out really consumer and media, but the enterprise side has really come on strong lately. You mentioned uh, North Carolina. The CEO of Pendo, which you funded, yes. said about putting his headquarters in North Carolina, quote, I couldn't shake the feeling that my zip code was a liability. Yeah. In the early days, we actually advertised a San Francisco HQ address on our website, well, we mostly yeah. didn't live or work right. there. So there still is that feeling. Well, I think it's changing. I mean, I think it used to be, uh, I think a few things have happened. There's enough proof points. There's been enough um, to where investors feel comfortable with it. They used to demand, hey, after you take this investment, you have to come to Silicon Valley. You see less of that. But if you also look at Pendo, um, there's there's a number of, um, you know, uh, he came from a former tech company, um, Rally, which sold. So there's there's companies in these regions now. If you look at Indianapolis, we funded some companies there. We had Exact Target. So you have operating executives who have built companies, scaled companies, sold companies. You have a lot of these um, people in Chicago. So it's really the key is like, can you hire senior salespeople? Can you hire senior developers? Can you hire people that have been through this and sort of some people that have seen big company stuff and some people that have seen startups and scaled it? I think you're now seeing this, you know, Gen 2, Gen 3 of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial operators. And I think that's really helping a lot. So technology is just becoming more of a you know, something that's not concentrated on the coast. You're just seeing it, you know, it's, it's just sort of everywhere now. And you're seeing that also in the size and scale of companies. I mean, if you look at the number of enterprise software companies that are worth more than 
10 billion dollars it's like 15 now if you go back five years ago it was like five if you go back 10 years ago it was like one or two so i just think like the this is just the size and growth and scale these companies is also growing and industry is just growing and i think again that's why i say it's it's a rising tide lifts all boats but San Francisco seems to be the center of it all in the it sense does. that there's this giant obelisk <laughs> in the middle of San Francisco. And you're in it. I'm in it. You're in it. Um, what is it like, although I'm told you don't actually have an office in I will. I will soon, but I don't know. Don't now. What right. is that like not having the office in the big tower? Uh, you know, we have we still have a nice new office, so I'm pretty happy where I am. So the, the office is Salesforce does a nice job on real estate. Tell me about the mechanics of of working in this tower. Uh, elevators were crowded, but not bad. Uh, elevators are speedy. We were talking about that earlier. I mean, it's great. It's I, it's nice having everybody in these buildings because, and you have these open floors, so you just run into people, and that's kind of the thing that you still get is just being able to, you know, if you're concentrated on these few corners, you still get to bump into the people you want to bump into. Matt Garrett, corporate venture capitalist for Salesforce. Next week on the podcast, Wade Chambers, chief technical officer at Grand Rounds, a healthcare company, but he's been on my radar since he was at Twitter and before that at Greylock Partners, where he worked as executive in residence. Sand Hill Road is written and produced by me, Scott McGrew, produced and edited by Sean Myers, and executive produced by Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.